Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody. Bridget McGowan here, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Jesse Cruz. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited because you are no stranger to speaking. And it's really helpful when we have people on the show who have been speaking for quite some time because then listeners can get a sense of what it means to be a true master on the microphone. How long have you been a professional speaker and what are some of the topics that you typically speak on? Yeah, my my first time ever speaking which is funny, I, I never had any intention or desire to ever speak. I was invited to speak at a correctional facility back in 2015. That was my first time ever speaking and found a passion and love for it since then. And what I love to speak on is first and foremost, storytelling, personal development, business, and healing through grief. How did you pick any one of those, storytelling, healing through grief, whichever one you want, how did you decide, boom, this is going to be one of my messages? Well, first, you know, interesting enough that I had to learn about me. And I don't feel like I should ever be on a stage speaking to someone about something I'd never lived, I never experienced, I never you know, had this experience firsthand. And so the things that I speak about are the things that I've studied, researched, and had extensive life experience on. Uh, because if I'm speaking on a stage on a particular topic that I haven't lived out, then it's not authentic to me to do that. And so when I speak, I prefer to speak from something that is part of who I am as a person and then finding a way to connect it to the audience. Have you ever had a situation where someone did want you to come speak or do some kind of a speaking engagement where it wasn't the right fit? I mean, I know that happened to me. And I, like a fool, said yes when I knew deep down inside it wasn't me. So I'll just give you the story. I used to be a member of the local chamber of commerce. Love, love, love all the peeps there. I mean, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful personalities, great people, great businesses. And I have some great stories and experiences from, from spending time with them. They wanted me to um, essentially like MC an event. And you know, me being me, oh yeah, sure, I'll do it. But I'm telling you, Jesse, the second they even asked, and the second I said, yes, I knew it wasn't a good fit, but I liked the person who was asking. I liked the chamber. I liked the people who were going to be in attendance. So have you ever been in a position like that where you knew it wasn't a good fit? It wasn't something that you had lived. And how did you handle that request? So last year I was asked to speak somewhere and I was like, I don't know if this is really me, but I just want to help. And so I still showed up and I was about halfway through. And I saw what I was speaking was not landing with the audience. And I was just like, man, this is not going well. And then I was like, you know what? I had a script. I had an idea. 
things that I had in my mind, what I thought they wanted to hear. And then I had this instant kick in about halfway through. I changed everything about my speech the second half. And that landed completely differently because I was being more authentic to who I was by just being me rather than trying to be someone I wasn't, right? So I started to speak and I was like, this is not landing. I'm trying to work out of my gifting and my area of genius. And I think it's showing. And I said, halfway through, I said, I'm changing everything. And I'm just going to flow a completely different direction. And when I did that, the, the response was completely different. Listeners, here, here are your takeaways. Learn from Jesse and me. <laughs> One, if you know it's just not a good fit, feel free to say, I don't think it's a good fit. And it's nice if you're able to refer them to someone else where maybe they would be a better fit. Two, if you decide to go with it, because I think that's how I felt, Jesse, like you, I wanted to help. So if you still go with it, don't be afraid to do what Jesse did, where he's reading the audience, he's he's filling the room, if you will. And he says, you know what, I'm, ju I'm just going to shift gears. Don't be afraid to shift gears. No one's going to know whatever that script was in your head that you veered off from it, that you took a detour, unless you open your big mouth and tell them you did. But go with the feel of the audience. Do not be afraid to, to change it up and do something differently, especially if it means about, if it means bringing about a transformation in your audience that you do make that, that left turn, do it. Jesse Cruz is a speaker. He's a development coach. He's an award-winning international speaker. Jesse is a best-selling author. He's a United States Army veteran. Thank you so much for your service. And he hosts transformational events for professionals all over the world. So Jesse, what would you say is the absolute best part about speaking that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about. Hmm. But they don't necessarily talk about, I would say what happens after you're done speaking. That's probably my favorite part is when you get to have a conversation with someone in that room. And they can say, you, you impacted my life. You touched my heart. Thank you. You don't know how much I needed to hear this message. And so I think a lot of the rewards from speaking happen when you're off stage you know what i'm sitting here shaking my head you're right it's what happens after you've gone through all of the preparation all of the research all of design all of the design all of the practice and all of that it's like the aha moments and the light bulbs that turn on for people and i know through your storytelling that probably happens quite a bit what is one of your favorite stories to tell audiences? And like, what is the lesson or the hidden gem in that story? Oh, there's so many stories. Uh, one story I, I enjoy sharing is, I'll just share a brief snippet of it here, is when I was younger, a friend of mine had a four-wheeler and a skateboard. And he got on the back of the skateboard while our other friend drove the four-wheeler and he had this little handlebar that he held onto and the four-wheeler pulled him down the street and he was going really fast on the skateboard and I said well you know what let me try that I get on the skateboard I grab the four-wheeler he starts driving really fast all of a sudden the skateboard kicks out from underneath my feet and I'm on 
I'm on the street. So I'm on the on the road, the hard gravel road, and the skateboard goes flying, and I'm holding on to the four-wheeler, and he is quite literally dragging me on the road. I, my body is bouncing off the road, and he's on a four. He has no idea what's going on. He keeps on driving. He can't see me. And I try to pull myself up with my hand so I can get back on my feet, and it's not working. I keep trying to pull myself up, pull myself up. And I hear my other friend who was watching, he just yells, Jesse, let go. And it was the most simple, practical advice I could have been given in that moment. And I finally let go. And let me tell you what, letting go is very scary. Uh, because when I let go, I really slammed on the, on the ground. Um, but the other option was continuously getting dragged. And sometimes we need to have that push from people to be in our corner to say, it's time to let go of something. This can hurt you. This could derail you. And I had to get to that point where I was so desperate for a change that I was hurting, but I knew if I kept holding on, I'd hurt even more and hurt longer. And I let go. And letting go was quite literally the only way where I could start the healing process. I know dead air is not a good thing in radio, but I had to let that just kind of sit there for a few seconds. That is a fantastic story, a fantastic illustration of how to bring your personal lived experiences into a presentation, tie it to a message, to bring about a transformation for your audience. Listeners, what I want you to do, I want you to think about experiences from childhood, young adulthood, and adulthood. I know there's one or two stories in each of those phases of life. Think about the lesson that you learned in each of those stories and how you can connect that lesson to something you believe very deeply about that you speak on, that is your platform and start inserting those stories into your presentations if you're not already doing it. Because I don't know if everybody was like me, I didn't know where the story was going to go. I didn't know where it was going to go until you finally said the friend yelled, Jesse, let go. And it's like, ah, yes, there's so much to let go of. Now I'm going to take things a step further. What makes it hard for people to let go? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I believe people would rather stay in a known hell than go to an unknown heaven. And they're so comfortable with where they're at, even if the comfort is destroying their life. At least that destruction reminds them of the comfort that they have. And so people are quite literally willing to live in a state of known war than journey out to unknown peace. And when I was holding onto that bar, I felt safe, even though that safety was actually destroying me. That's that comfort zone. And letting go, the reason why they don't let go is because that would require some sort of change. What's one of the biggest changes you've made in your speaking career? Think back to year one to now. What would you say is the biggest difference or biggest change you've made? How seriously I take it? Because I didn't realize when I was speaking to people 
how much it could actually impact them. So my prep time, like I, I re researched it, I studied, I practiced, I put in the work, right? And so I constantly am refining and fine-tuning messages because I know, first I was speaking for me because I thought it'd make me feel good and give myself a pat on the back. Good job, Jesse. Look what you did. You helped someone. Now I'm like, it's for them. And I got to serve them to the highest level. So I need to be coming in prepared at all times. A lot of times people don't understand or maybe they underestimate that value of preparedness and putting hours upon hours of work into preparing for a presentation. And I think about something that I shared with our son this morning. I cannot remember what made it come up, but as he's sitting there, you know, nibbling on an apple slice or something, I remember saying, geez, I wish I could remember what it was that he said that made me tell him this. I told him the perfection you see on display in public is a result of a lot of practice done in private. And for the listeners, I'm telling you, when you see people up there on that stage, on that microphone, shining, and it looks like they're not missing one single beat. I guarantee you that one hour of perfection is, I cannot tell you how many hours of practice in private. Another thing that you, you, you said that caught my attention was about the presentation being for the audience, not for you. It has to be about the audience, not about you. I re recently posted on social media about how I don't start with my bio, some intro about myself. I don't have the moderator reading some long, drawn out, whatever <laughs> message about me. That, that It drives me crazy, Jesse. I remember when I first started speaking and I would stand over in the shadows waiting for the moderator to finish introducing me and I'm it, it was so uncomfortable I didn't know what to do do I look at the audience do I look at the moderator do I look at my shoes my feet I, I didn't know what to do I was like this is such wasted time in that social media post that I put up maybe about I don't know a couple of weeks ago I wrote something to the effect of your event is about your audience it's not about me it's <laughs> not about the speaker now, when you think about how you focus so much on creating an audience-centric experience, aside from the practice that you put in, what else do you do or what else do you recommend that our listeners do to create this audience-centric, audience-focused speaking engagement? I think it's focusing on, first, you got to know your audience, understanding their hopes, their dreams, their desires their fears, their pain, and then finding a way, I call it building a bridge. Sometimes a speaker can get on a stage and maybe talk about maybe how smart they are, how much they've accomplished. And that really, it sounds cool, but it actually builds a divider between you and the audience. And so I believe one of the greatest ways to connect is from vulnerability, sharing struggles, sharing that time where you got dragged by the four-wheeler, right? Because it's funny. It shows my humanity. It just shows I'm a person who's done stupid stuff like everybody else in their life and maybe held on to something a little bit too long. 
just finding a way to be relatable and vulnerable is a great way to connect with the audience. It really is. And sometimes people are afraid of that because they think that it'll make them look weak. What do you say to people who say, you know, folks don't need to know about me and what I'm like outside of work. They need to get the professional part all the time. What do you say to someone who believes that? Well, I mean, people are entitled to believe what they believe. However, I will say that if you really want to build meaningful relationships, then you have to be authentically you. And you can have surface level relationships. I think that leads to a lot more stress and loneliness more than anything. But when you can open up and be real with the people that you serve about your own particular struggles and also your victories along the way, it really will, I believe, encourage the speaker to keep going because trying to put up this facade of perfection is just exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And it has the audience feeling like they cannot reach that. They cannot attain that. So yes, you do see a level of perfectionism on the stage, but in sharing your stories, like you said, it shows your human side and the fact that yeah, maybe there are some chinks in this perfection, this armor of perfection you see up here. And that's okay. That makes us human. In a, a minute or two, you will have an opportunity to ask me a question. I'm looking forward to that. For now, my question for you is, you work with speakers from all over the world. What would you say is the most important maybe practice or most important thing for any speaker to do? Or what's the most important lesson you teach speakers that you work with? Great question. One of the things that pops in my mind is I believe a lot of speakers think it's only about what you say. I also think that it's about what you don't say. And when a speaker is on stage, when they have moments of what I call a strategic pause, where they make a specific point and then they stop speaking, it gives the audience time to catch up. See, a lot of times speakers will speak really fast and they're trying to get all this information and their story and all the things that they feel like they have to say. And that becomes like a buffet of words. But the audience is not always ready for a buffet at one time. Sometimes they need a little snack. And that just comes from speaking certain words and then being quiet and letting the audience digest the words that you just spoke. Because if you speak too quickly, then they can't keep up with your pace. And then therefore they can't catch the moment or the point you were attempting to make. And that's why having strategic pauses when you're trying to say something memorable and impactful it's one of the greatest stage tactics a speaker can leverage. I love that. Not to make a shameless plug, but to make a shameless plug, I give you nine pauses that your presentation needs in my book, Real Talk, What Other Experts Won't Tell You About How to Make Presentations That Sizzle. Just look for Real Talk. I give you nine different types of pauses, eight or nine, but I'm pretty sure it's nine. Nine different pauses that your presentation needs today. And I explain exactly how they work, how long, what's the effect that's created, all that good stuff, how to do it and everything. 
insert those pauses. It's not a marathon and you don't want to, you know, it's all in your head. You don't want to just like throw it out there at them and turn on the fire hose and just hope they soak it up, but be strategic with those pauses and feel relatively confident that they're soaking up what you're putting down, if you will. All right, Jesse, what is your question for me? It's my turn now. Give the tables a turn. <laughs> yes. What is your approach when it comes to getting a speaking engagement? Ooh. Okay. My approach is one to get really excited because now I get to do more of what I love and someone else sees the value in what I do and they're reaching out and they're wanting to book me. So one, celebrate. Two, I need to find out exactly what my event contact, what my contact person wants. What do they want the audience to know or to be able to do by the end of my presentation? And once I get really clear on that, we have an extensive call, sometimes it's two or three calls. Once we get crystal clear on what they want, then I sit down to create an experience that the audience will not soon forget. This means there's going to be engagement. There's going to be a little bit of humor. There's going to be a lot of information. There's going to be plenty of takeaways. And I'm going to make sure that it's not your typical sit and get experience. So yes, celebrate and then find out exactly what they want me to do. And this is a question that I'll ask in that conversation, Jesse, and I may ask it more than once with, with my event contact. What do you want your audience to know or to be able to do by the time my presentation ends? And then I set out to design that presentation that they tell me that they want. As a matter of fact, these are notes right here from someone I was talking to about two and a half hours, three and a half hours ago about an event that I've been booked for, where I'm sitting and I'm asking all the things so I can make sure I'm tailoring this presentation. And I take them on rides in that presentation. I'm putting, I'm taking them on highs and lows, right? And, and, and have them thinking one thing is about to happen, but you disrupt the pattern. You break the pattern of what their brains expect. So yeah, that's it. Celebrate, get the info, go about crafting an amazing speech. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a ton more to it, but that's probably the Reader's Digest version. Now, Jesse, do you have anything coming up, any new material coming out, anything that the audience needs to know about with the work that you do in the speaker world? Yeah, we have our Mike Story speaker competition coming up September 23rd to the 24th in Niagara Falls, Canada. Ooh. All right. So everybody check that out. Check the speaker notes, get all the information that you need um, to uh, join Jesse and his team. That's going to be an amazing event. So Jesse, before we close out, what is one more piece of advice that you can give listeners for how to own the microphone? I think it's believing that you're worthy of owning that microphone. So many people typically fall into two areas. One they believe their story is too traumatic and no one would ever want to hear them speak because there's too many issues, right? Or the other end of the spectrum is that they've lived a boring, average, regular life and therefore it's not worthy of being heard. And both are incorrect. You have just the right amount of life experiences 
to get up on a stage, own it, and make an impact. Therefore, step into your greatness, into your calling, and get your message shared out because it's worth listening to. You have to tell yourself that it's worth listening to. And, and you think it's not worth listening to because you've heard it play a million times in your head or you've relived it so many times. But, 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 but check it out. Your audience is hearing it, living it, seeing and experiencing it for the first time. So dig deep and share your story. And I'm saying that to the listeners as much as I'm saying it to myself. <laughs> I'm trying to convince myself to do the same thing. Jesse Cruz, it has been absolutely amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in. My name is Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.